Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be back, even though this very cold morning and uh, looking forward to a warm Shabbos. Yeah, what's the story with that? It's so cold out there. How on earth did that happen in the month of January? Um, Any Jewish angle... To the story that's dominating the news, this whole Robin Hood, GameStop, <laughs> have you seen, heard, have you thought of any Jewish angle to this story? Well, you know, they're trying to concoct it, and we're seeing already anti-Semitic um, things on the Internet, wow. tying it to Mr. Cohen and to the hedge funds and to the manipulation and to all sorts of, uh, you know, wild theories, which... You know, happens almost automatically these days. Whenever any issue comes up, doesn't matter what it is, it was inevitable that at some point they'll, you know, drag out the Rothschilds, which has happened in in, in the last few days. Uh, but when you have a congresswoman talking about the Rothschild having some sort of a space um, capacity to set fires in California, you begin to wonder. Yeah. Someone joked, "How else are we supposed to control the weather?" And I say it like that because that is, I mean, you know, these are theories that people, of course, um, toss out there and other people um, believe. And many people believe. And and even with this, uh, I mean, I've talked to young Jewish guys about this uh, current wave of protest against the hedge funds. And I, I told them, who do you think you're protesting against? What do you think they are? You know, and the the ignorance and the manipulation uh, of it is the fact that today, that GameStop is up again, I think, 100 and some points in the opening. It's going to collapse eventually, but the manipulation is very dangerous. It's, uh, you know, stock, when stock markets collapse, you yeah. have... I, mean, if, I don't know why we're getting such a bad echo, and I apologize to the listeners for it. I don't think we have to reconnect. I don't think it's that bad. You know, and, and the manipulation is always a... Um, it's always a, a tricky issue because we talk about the manipulation of the you know of those hedge funds and others on Wall Street that control things. But now we have a completely different model. You know, it's it's amazing. We saw it, by the way, with the fundraising for presidential and other elections, right? I think we even mentioned that you know there are people. Oh, we I, that was a conversation we had earlier this week on the air that now people could take a strong interest easily in local elections thousands of miles away from them. And they could donate in an instant, obviously. And now that same model seems to be going on at, when it comes to the stock market, that if you have enough of a following, if you have enough of an influence out there over you know tens of thousands of people, they all, all they have to do is make a small donation, or in this case, make a small investment, and collectively the entire thing can move in one direction. It's a completely different world that we're living in right now. In every respect, and uh, in, a, in a sense, it collectivizes, and in a sense, it individualizes. And, and especially this past year, where there's been no ability for people to meet, and by and large, and to engage in the activities that they normally would. And yet, the internet has become the replacement, as the channel vehicle for creating communities, for activity, for mobilizing. And it, it, we see that unless there are really strict controls, you, you know, Facebook put in a fact check box now on Holocaust denial, right. supposedly, but it's still it's still going on. And we have to see that Twitter and all the others um, are very careful about the the um, without limiting free speech per se, 
not to allow the, the anti-Semitic manipulations, the racist manipulations, others that are going on. And, and it's, it's amazing how fast something that uh, somebody can concoct can become a fact in the minds of large numbers. Let's go one by one for a second. First of all, on the Marjorie Taylor Greene, did she make a comment apologizing or retracting or anything? Or Not that I've seen. could be, but I have not seen any retraction. Then you have this situation with the Westchester uh, congressman. I was shocked to see that he took down that tweet, the one about occupation, the congressman who replaced Elliot Engel. Bowman. Uh, Bowman. He actually took down the tweet. And I'm saying to myself, wow, maybe we do have you know those who are you know I- Israel-loving people and concerned about Israel. Maybe we still do have a little bit of influence. Because, frankly, this stuff goes so viral so fast that you wonder if the, the people who, who have put it out, even if they regret it, whether it's worth it for them to take down. So in this case, at least he took it down. Yeah, but the damage is done, and, you know, once it's out, you can issue retractions or you can issue apologies. We had several instances this week of things. So somebody tweets a response after there are three articles, but it, it, the vast majority of people saw the articles, don't see the, the tweet or the, the um, retraction. The damage is done by Mom. His statement got picked up and, and talking attack on Israel and, um, you know, he represents Riverdale and parts of Westchester. And, New Rochelle, and, Yonkers, yeah. Yes, but may, so, may, so maybe it just makes me feel a little bit better that, <laughs> that we still have a little bit of influence that someone reacts to it at least. Because there are public officials now who we would put pressure on them or any Jewish leadership would put pressure on them to remove stuff like this. They would not do it. We know that now that that exists in Washington. So... It's not just Washington, but as you point out, and no, it's, yeah, it's, we, we've seen other statements over the last, you know, from the left and from the right. Right, but there are that, Congress that, women who represent areas of New York City where traditionally, if you represented that district, you'd be really careful of what you what you say about Israel. And now we're in a situation where we have con- members of the United States uh, House of Representatives in New York City representing, you know, areas that have Jews uh, and Israel lovers, and they don't care. They would never take it down. So it's a little bit of a different era. Well, I'm not sure it's a different era, but I think I know your point, and and periodically, the uh, you know, and and especially we have some members like uh, Bowman who who said that he was anti BDS and he's anti this and he's pro Israel, and you know that he was they're not going to follow uh, certain groups in the Congress and others, and yet the automatic response to a question, even if he later takes it down, tells you what his thinking is, though. Right. And that's why we have to do a lot of education. We have to try to see if if they can be moved, and if you know it's ignorance or it's um, something that that you can educate them to to see differently. Uh, but the automatic response, you know, the apartheid state, and this is what occupation does, and this is you know blaming Israel over the vaccination stuff, and, and he wasn't alone. There were others who have done it. Um, is is and not shows they don't know the facts that under the Oslo Accord, the, the health. Responsibility falls with the PA, and um, and you don't hear people now calling. Uh, you know, PA called elections. I haven't seen anybody saying, "Oh, how do we assure that they're democratic? How do we assure that they're going <laughs> that the people will have a vote?" Yeah. Nothing at all. And they know that it's all manipulation. It's all you have two uh, elections: Gaza and the, and the West Bank. In Gaza, they're arresting Hamas people. In the West Bank, they're arresting. Hamas people already, and you have an array of candidates, none of whom, uh, you know, can can really assert themselves until, except for Dahlan, who who, who doesn't get more than a few points uh, in the polls, uh, but is backed by Qatari, lives in the UAE, he's backed by others, and um, 
you know, and they really are, are attacking him. But the the uh, others are just waiting because Abbas is 84. He just entered now the the 17th year of his four year term, and the you know we'll see whether the election actually takes place. But it won't be free, and it's not. And people know it, so you have skepticism about it. But that doesn't get any criticism. Get them a message that the mail in balloting uh, works well. They may want yeah. to implement that. And lists. Yeah, I should have a list of five candidates and let them pick one. <laughs> right. I don't know how to say harvesting in Arabic, but it may be a suggestion for them. <laughs> um, uh, one other thing, by the way, and I, honestly, I don't remember if we – I don't even think it took place before last time we spoke. Uh, but this has been mentioned so many times on the air already this week, and I feel like I have to reiterate it. I, I understand that people have problems – with with certain aspects of certain candidates, etc. But when Andrew Yang comes out and and makes a whole big deal about anti BDS and that New York City must be anti BDS and must do business with Israel, etc. I understand he's been controversial and certain statements he's made have not sat well with the Jewish world. But but at this point, I think our community and our community's leadership has to be vocal to acknowledge the bravery. That someone who's running in a Democratic primary in New York has uh, has in, and the courage he has to make a statement like that. Well, the very fact that you think it's courageous for somebody to stand up in New York City and defend what is a, a fundamental principle of democracy, that you're against boycott, divestment, sanction movements, which is based on false and a false ideology anyway, that, that that's heroic. I think a Richie Torres... Congressman Torres now, former city councilman, mm-hmm. that's heroic because he doesn't just stop saying up against BDS. He gets up and he preaches for Israel. I mean, he's a, such an incredible spokesman, um, if, and he's really becoming a rising star. He's, uh, you know, newly elected. He's a young guy, and he has, um, uh, I think, a great future. But that's courageous to me. And some of the other statements that people, when you, you, you stand up to say that you're not, it's, it's like saying, you know, I'm, uh, I'm against racism. Well, of course you should be against racism, and that should be a, a model for us. I'm sorry, I'm not ready yet to accept that, that, that that's a sign of heroism. I, I get it, but when you're getting destroyed... You're going to get it, yeah. I get it, but, <laughs> but, when, but when you're getting destroyed by your progressive colleagues... Who are already and others in New York City, not just. So he has to appeal because he also has to separate himself from some of the other candidates. Look, I'm not putting it down. I'd rather have him do that. And right. I'm glad he okay. did it. Good. But but I just don't think that I think that that we lower our standards so much that a New York City official, somebody wanting to be mayor of New York, has to get gets credit for for not saying I'm not. I don't hate Israel. And I'm not going to engage in things that call for the destruction or elimination of Israel, and that have been. Uh, that even the U um, ambassador, New York ambassador to the UN, said it more to, it, it, you know it leans into anti-Semitism, and she condemned it at the at her hearing, which I thought was important also uh, as noteworthy. But you know, should it is the position, it has been the position of of uh, U.S. governments and and people in the United States overwhelmingly reject. Uh, BDS. Right. You you get, you know the atmosphere in New York City, right? <laughs> you know, I live here. I, I, that's what I'm hoping that you understand just how progressive it's become and how dangerous the political uh, situation is right now. Well, that's the point. It's not. It, it is that that it becomes remarkable is the point. Right. No, I get it. I still think that anyone who makes a statement like that there should be acknowledgement from Jewish leadership. But okay, I mean, I you know, I can't convince everybody to do that. 
Um, what about this most recent uh, um, situation with Ann Newberger uh, because of her family's ties to APAC, etc.? Uh, there was ac- there were accusations that there's a dual loyalty problem in her position with cybersecurity for the nation. Uh, then apparently that article uh, was taken down. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Well, it's it, first of all, it's an outrageous thing that because a family foundation made a contribution to a legitimate en- agency and. Um, it wasn't her personal contribution. There was no sign she she has not been involved. Her husband's actually quite involved in it, in APAC, um, and the uh, but the accusation and the the implicit accusation and NBC then picked it up and others they they heard. I mean, we and many others. I think we're not many, but a number of others reacted very strongly to it, and they uh, then they pulled down the. Um, the charge or the article in which the charge is uh, at least implicitly raised, but, but you know, it's part of the outrage today. I mean, they, they, there are people being appointed who have very bad associations. Uh, I don't know if you saw that there's a guy who was at Harvard who was uh, writes for the New York Times op-ed pieces, uh, opinion pieces, and he was arrested because he failed to register as an gov- as a, uh, agent of the Iranian government. What? Yes, and he's in jail now, and he's being held because he failed to, under the power laws and others, to register. In the meantime, he's been publishing these articles supporting the Iranian regime, you know, as a, as a scholar, as a neutral. As an op-ed, and, as an op-ed writer? In the New York Times, he's had, he has written, yes, he's not wow. a regular, he's not an employee. Right, he's a, a written guest. written a lot of pieces. A and guest op-ed He's writer. been looked to by others for, for that. And, and we see, you know... Um, People have had other very questionable associations, and yet there's no scrutiny, there's no reference, and here they, they concoct something, and right away the media is so ready to pick up every story, no no certain question about uh, the veracity is in, and no questioning the sources. This is a, it's a troubling time, and the fact that people are so, so ready to make that kind of association, and even if you know the facts can be true, but what, what is the negative? Why is that bad? Yeah. Do we do we check everybody else's contributions to everything that they that they their family's contributions to anything they give them? And she's held sensitive government positions before, and clearly has moved up because she's done a great job and and proved capable. So it wasn't a a gift job; it was a job that she earned. Look, the bottom line is, I know you're not going to agree based on our conversation five minutes ago, but the, the fact that the article was taken down. And that these media outlets are still feeling the pressure, I think, is a good sign. I know what you're saying that you know it's out there and it's viral and it's you know the we put the pressure on them. I, I know, but 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 I'm saying to you that that, that it, 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 it I want people to understand how our standards have changed. Yeah, if, if you have to comment on how remarkable it is that a lie is and a, and a blasphemous charge is taken down, but that's what happens when society's spiraling out of control. Okay. The only way to stop it is to start acknowledging the small stuff and hoping that you know things become to you know start turning around again at some point. You know, there's an article that just appeared that shows that there are hundreds of monuments around the world to people who were collaborators who during World War II who participated in the murder of Jews here in the United States. In, in a number of cities, there are monuments to people who you know have the blood of of countless Jews on their hands. And, you know, the people were going around taking down the, the Columbus statues and other, you know, leaders. And yet there are all over the world, and 
in the United States, in many places, these the statues that you know honor those who were engaged in, in some of the most dastardly deeds in history. Yeah, I hear that. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and Alchem Segal, I come the Alchem Segal Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. By the way, are you allowed to comment if I uh, ask you if Ehud Olmert has gone off the deep end? Did you see his article about uh, Shelley Adelson? I saw his comments about Shelley Adelson. They were totally outrageous and inappropriate, regardless of who it would be, but from him. And... Uh, I think he should be ashamed of himself at the very least. Yeah, I don't know what's happened to him, but very different than he was uh, decades ago, I can tell you that much. Uh, did you see the New York Times article about Rabbi Kanievsky? Or you haven't, I think it was just posted a few hours ago. I don't know if you saw it yet. No, I did not. They're talking about his uh, his role in, in COVID, not in a very positive manner, but... Uh, uh, but some might call it a balanced article. Uh, what What's the situation? Why am I getting so much... Uh, mixed information from Israel. Why am I being told that now they're considering extending the lockdown because things are so bad? And and yet another article I'm reading how the vaccinations have now you know stabilized the cases and less and lessened the positives. Can we get any straight story from what's happening there? Look, I think this disease is a very hard for, to to um, address. Nobody really has a handle on it. We're learning new things all the time, including the fact that people can get sick a long time after, or it's manifest a long time afterwards, that young people are manifesting in Israel, uh, I've heard manifesting uh, symptoms from shortness of breath to other the particular diseases or, or um, maladies that are related to, to, um, to it, that pregnant women and children, it keeps morphing. And you have now the, the Brazilian version, the South African, the British, we don't know how... So far, it looks like the uh, at least the British is is, is um, dealt with by the vaccines, but nobody knows long term yet. So the government of Israel, which has done a remarkable job in inoculating people, and you see that the number of deaths of older people who have been inoculated has gone down dramatically. Um, but the the importation of the disease and people who say you know we have antibodies doesn't mean you're not a carrier. And, it, and even if you have the inoculations, it doesn't mean you can stop wearing a mask. You can't, because you can carry it, and nobody knows yet to what degree you really have immunity. Uh, they said that one guy came back from uh, Abu Dhabi and, and affected, infected 180 people himself, and, and uh, but but thousands were affected infected by uh, groups that flew back, and they in Israel you're able to trace it because of the Kupat Cholim. And the um, um, medical system there—it's—it's it, uh, a reason why Pfizer and others are helping Israel so much because they want the data that—that right. that is uniquely available. Even in the United States, we can't produce in the same percentage that the, that Israel can. So it's like a huge laboratory. So the the uh, the answer is that this is a very terrible disease. I spoke to people in the hotels in Yerushalayim, and they told me that it doesn't look like they can open up for Pesach. Uh, they're hoping for May June till the the numbers are the high enough of those inoculated that you get herd immunity that but but they will restrict immigration and and or quarantine post quarantine uh, on people and we should be doing more of it here for those who come from abroad or who visited um, certain locations. I know that there are schools in the issues in New Jersey that that if their kids go away 
for a trip and on a plane and stuff that they have to quarantine for 10 days. It's right. Of course, it's an inconvenience. And, and you know, there have been a lot of fights about the question, did Russia Yeshiva tell people not to comply, yes to comply, and are there yeah, violations? That's, that's the whole focus of that article. I, I understand. Yeah. But the, the the fact is that they're, they're, they're recognizing it because look how many Gedolim, look how many Rabbanim again now are, are sick. Yeah, 100%. And family members, it's, uh, I, I don't know, you know, it's funny, <laughs> funny, that's the wrong word, but it, it seems since April, since April of 2020, we've basically been saying, you know, hopefully by May, June, hopefully by the summer, hopefully by Rosh Hashanah, hopefully by Hanukkah, hope, it, it just it just doesn't end. And now I think, as this, as psychologically as this Purim anniversary because we all, you know, in the Jewish community, it's all about Purim, right? That's when it all started, um, for all intents and purposes, even though officially it was before that. Uh, I think as this first anniversary approaches, people are psychologically are just going to have such a desire to move on and, and are, are going to approach things completely differently. That one-year anniversary, I think, is just going to spur a tremendous amount of desire for people to just get back to normal, even at the risk of, um, you know, getting into compromising situations. Well, I hope our rabbis, our Rosh Hashiva, the leaders, the people themselves, and our doctors, their medical community will warn people this year. We're still not ready for it. it, it, it the you know coming together in large numbers continues to yield people being sick. We know it from weddings. We know it from other events. I understand the frustration. Believe me, I feel it too. You want to see your grandchildren, your children. You want to see your friends. You want to engage with people. It's a natural, and it's. I think people are reaching their limit. Uh, I hear it from people in Israel as well. You know, who are under a, a long-term shutdown now, a lockdown that was supposed to end uh, this weekend, but uh, not clear at all that they will. Uh, in New York, they they're opening, going to open restaurants to a limited number uh, of seating. Uh, but oh, in New York should, City. I didn't well, there's, there's talk about it. They're, they're waiting for the governor to give the okay. He gave it for other areas, but uh, there's talk of it. But at the same time, we're seeing these terrible numbers still, uh, and the number of people who are dying, and the fact that in Israel, people died in ambulances because there were no there was no beds in 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 the emergency wards for them, and it's it's so people please just. Take this seriously. I, um, in Israel, they're talking about reopening in the middle of February and then and then locking down again for Purim. And it might be a blessing in disguise that Purim's on a Friday, frankly. It might encourage people to, to gather less. It uh, may, exactly. It may well uh, limit yeah. someone. So but, much, but, uh, uh, but I understand, you know, the, 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 you can imagine what kind of an explosion of tourism there would be once people are free oh to travel my again. Oh my everybody gosh. hasn't been to Israel, everybody <laughs> hasn't been anywhere. You know, it's going to be amazing. But um, And they're counting on the fact that this summer everybody will want to reconnect. I feel bad for the kids whose parents couldn't visit this year. Yeah. Oh, but, so but Israel can't afford the the costs just think of the medical costs involved look at the toll in human life and productivity and how their economy has been zooming along regardless is is quite remarkable yeah. america too you think of how many people haven't been in, in their offices or at work for long periods of time it is remarkable just hoping that it ends soon um what do you think of this uh robert malley being uh asked to be special envoy to Iran. Well, he has a very troubling uh, associations, uh, according to a lot of the reports, and uh, I, I know him, obviously I've worked with him in the past. I think his views are not ideal, and um, 
we will have to see. You know, the policy is set by the president, uh, but obviously advisors play a key role. The statements that Mr. Blinken, the new Secretary of State, has made this week were, were good, and the fact that they say we're not rushing into the deal and that Iran has to move first, and uh, the French actually joining on it, the Germans making some tough comments about Iran, Iran saying you know, that they reject all of this and that the United States, they have a deal and the United States gets in and we're doing better, we're increasing our production, which they are, of, of oil. But the fact is that as long as the sanctions are in place, they they will be in big trouble. They are, you know, they're trying to get money. Um, Khamenei needs uh, about $20 million right now for the Houthis and the Hamas and Hezbollah and his other terrorist agents, and much more than that for his domestic needs, immediate domestic needs. Uh, And I think that the the statements that um, uh, Mr. Blinken said, that they have to come back and meet the standards before uh, the United States goes to a, a longer and stronger agreement uh, and addresses, he called them, deeply problematic issues. So I think that that uh, was a more positive um, statement. You know, they froze the arms sales to Saudi Arabia and um, questioning the arms sales to the UAE, and they think this is a natural review that they, they would do, but obviously it sends concerns about how this will impact the Abraham Accords, especially if they review the Morocco uh, some of the concessions that were made vis-a-vis Morocco. Um, but the uh, most amazing thing was the statement by Kohavi, the chief of staff of um, of Israel, who, whose statement really shook people up in Israel. Um, but he, he said that a return to the nuclear deal is a strategic mistake. And he said um, uh, that the normalization, you know, is impacting and it's isolating in Iran in ways that they didn't know, so we should not give up the pressure and to maintain all the sanctions um, because it's weak and closest to making real concessions, despite the bravado of the statements that they make. But the fact that the chief of staff of Israel made the statement, I think, is uh, is critical. And, you know, at the same time, the United States is expanding some of its bases in Saudi Arabia. The, uh, the Saudis are paying for it, but several ports are being expanded. So it increases the basing operations and the ability of the United States, the capacity of the United States in in the region. When so, I when I saw this week the U.S. Uh, freezing the F thirty five deal to the UAE, so I, you know, I said, okay, here's the beginning of the end of the Abraham Accords. You wouldn't say that. I would not say that. No, I think that they they there's too much in it, for the, especially the UAE. Uh, I think that. Iran, um, the Saudis are going to play it out and, and wait and see, as they have till now, what the new administration wants. And um, there were other countries that supposedly were in negotiations, and he said very positive things, and Mr. Blinken and I think uh, Sullivan also, the NSC National Security Advisor, that the about continuing the um, the accords. But the uh, you know the messages that they send now are very important because it's it's the thing on which people will base their views, their further actions, their willingness to to go ahead. In some respects, as I've said before, I think it strengthens the relationship with Israel with these countries if they feel the United States isn't going to be tough yeah. on Iran or That's diminish true. our presence, as happened before even when American vehicles in the last few years were uh, uh, vessels and stuff were withdrawn from. Um, from the uh, Persian Gulf or from other areas in the Middle East. Biden, Harris, 
Blinken, Malley. I mean, it sort of sounds like it based on what you just said, but can we just acknowledge that there will be an Iran deal? It's obvious that we're on the road to some type of renewal. Well, the president has said very clearly all along that they want to get back in the deal. They think it was a mistake that we lost our leverage, that, um, you know, they've made their case uh, public, but they're not rushing into it. As some said that, then, you know, the first day they're going to go in, we're going to reopen the, the, the JCPOA. It's not true. It's not happening. And I don't think you should lump all those people together because I think there are a lot of differences of views between uh, some of them. Um, and there are people who who are, have gotten positions whose views are, are uh, troubling, and there are. Uh, but I think the public statements that we've seen so far make clear the aid that they have reiterated their support for the U.S.-Israel relationship. The, sec- the new ambassador to the U.N. is very clear about f- fighting the discrimination, the bias against Israel in the U.N. Uh, the four people I mentioned are likely not on the same page when it comes to the Iran deal? They likely are on the same page. Wouldn't you uh, say? No, I wouldn't say that. Really? Yeah. You wouldn't give us details on which of the four, would you? No. <laughs> okay. No matter how much I press you. Uh, do you think you this... You me too much already. <laughs> that may be true. Do you think this vaccine um, scramble internationally could end up being a really volatile political situation? Because uh, yesterday I saw... Yeah. And, and, and who's going to suffer for it? Well, first of all, they'll blame the Jews as we see the conspiracy theories that because you have Jewish doctors and Jewish, you know, people who are helping to find solutions saying, oh, you see, they're concocted in the first place. And that, uh, you know, the, the, and, and don't believe it's not it's not accepted by huge swaths of people around the world. And then you have a lot of resentment in Africa if they see Israel, you know, is working so hard and planned ahead and paid and whatever, uh, right. didn't do anything inappropriate, but they're saying, oh, you see, they're they're locking in the corners, they're, they're inoculating our people, and only a very small percentage of people in most of the African countries and wealthy ones have, um, have been inoculated. So hopefully with the arrival of the Sinopharm, the Chinese and the Russian and the AstraZeneca and many others are in development, that uh, more and more people will be uh, inoculated. But it's not because it's manipulated. It's because it's the nature of the system and there's a limited amount of production that if New York City can't get it, and New York State has to stop uh, inoculating people for days because they didn't have the... This, the capacity, the number of uh, vaccinations available to, to fill the needs. So it's certainly not uh, discriminatory. It's a factor of supply and demand and of preparation and of organization. And the fact that the Israeli army got involved enabled them. People told me they waited a minute to get the shot. They, yeah. they would, and you could show up and, and you would go. And, and it, they didn't throw out stuff at the end of the day. And they used the extra shot in the, in the vials. Um, My brother said it was so efficient he almost got both in the same day. Just kidding, folks. Uh, <laughs> but he did say it took about 10 minutes of waiting, and that was it. And he was lauding the system. All right, a couple of uh, last things here. First of all, I, I mean, if there is going to be some type of warming up between uh, the new president and the uh, likely new president of the PA, uh, um, is there going to be a formal meeting? I mean, I know that these, you know, there can't be a trip to Washington at the moment with COVID, etc. But are we going to see some type of uh, outreach from the White House to the PA? Yes, I think you will. That there uh, are people there who have had very close ties to people in the PA. 
it doesn't mean that they excuse. I mean, the PA doesn't make it easy for them, the internal uh, dissension and disruptions. Um, so, that they, and to talk about how they bypass um, the pay to slay, and uh, you know they, we know that the financial situation is very bad, and yet they didn't want to take money from Israel. Then they, of course, backed off. But the Arab world has cut by eighty-two percent this year, this in twenty twenty, the amount of money they gave to the Palestinians, and we're now looking to go back and give them more money, but. You know, it's it's really quite a, a, a remarkable basis because it's based on the first uh, eight months of the year, and and uh, this came from from Palestinian sources acknowledging that the hundreds of millions of dollars that they used to get has ended because people are frustrated and the uh, economic conditions and and things like that. But they they are always on the uh, verge of bankruptcy, and the United States, and Israel encourages Qatar and others to give them money because, you know, it might fall on Israel, the burden. Uh, and the impact, obviously, is, is not good when people are, are starving or where governments really don't work. And we know that they're kleptocracies, and all of the leadership becomes uh, very wealthy. So it's, it's um, uh, the, the financial situation is terrible, yet they still divert hundreds of millions of dollars to pay those who are in prisons and those who killed Jews and those who engaged in terrorism uh, and, and announce that they're going to put them on the payroll, they're going to do things that will that will bypass the um, sanctions and the restrictions that have been imposed by the United States and some by European countries as well. And I, I think you should... Um, th- there is some change in tones in some of the statements coming out of... of uh, European countries regarding Iran, regarding some of these other issues as well. And finally, one of our listeners asked, what do you think of Ahmadinejad coming out of the woodwork? I didn't realize he had. Has he had a higher profile recently? Not much, but uh, I would welcome it. I I miss him. (laughs) Uh, I've said it, I think I said it on the show years ago, that he was the best thing we had when trying to explain the Iran thing, because, you know, these guys dress better. Rouhani, Zarif... You know, they smile and they go before, and you know, as they're putting the dagger in. So right. It's not a difference really in policy; it's a difference in packaging. And Ahmadinejad was very clear. Everybody knew what we were dealing with, and in part, Zarif, with whom I negotiated over the Iran 13, um, and you know, I always say that you knew he was lying if his lips were moving. Wow! Uh, you know, he's a chameleon; he's not straight in any way. But, but, and so he tries to put on this other show, but he made some pretty angry and uh, statements against the United States in the last uh, week, two weeks, uh, and understand that he's just no different. And the, the election that's going to take place in May is just between which hardliners, right. because there's no real differentiation. The hardliners are in charge in Iran. There are those who are more pragmatic, who try to put on a different front to say, you know, we're we open and you could support us because we're more moderate. Otherwise, the hardliners, they're all hardliners uh, in, in this. So uh, Iran is continuing to move ahead with its nuclear program. They're, with four those functioning, they're in, they admit that they're increasing a lot, the stockpiles, at least uh, um, uh, of, of enriched uranium. And each aspect, the weaponization, the missile systems that developed, we saw them firing into the Indian Ocean, the guidance systems have improved, uh, and their breakout time shrinks all the time, Into that within a few years, all the restrictions are going to be off. Yep. 
Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Fridays with us, JM the AM for the weekly update.